reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory to you, o Lord. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it became known that he was at home. Many gathered together so that there was no longer room for them, not even around the door, and he preached the word to them. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Unable to get near Jesus because of the crowd, they opened up the roof above him. After they had broken through, they let down the mat on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there asking themselves, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? Jesus immediately knew in his mind what they were thinking to themselves, so he said, Why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, pick up your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. He rose, picked up his mat at once, and went away in the sight of everyone. They were all astounded and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The Gospel of the Lord. been speaking all week about National Vocations Awareness Week, which the Church in the United States of America always marks, the week that begins with the baptism of the Lord Jesus, because it's that baptism in which, uh, the, the, it's that baptism that gives us our initial call to be saints, to be true sons in the Son, and our entire existence succeeds or fails on the basis of how we keep that vocational awareness alive and attune ourselves to God at all occasions. It's often said that there's a vocations crisis in the church. When people normally use this phrase, the first thing that they use it for is the shortage of vocations to be priests. And it's true, there is a vocations shortage of priests. It's also mentioned about an even more serious crisis in the church, which is the vocation to women religious life. Everything that made the church thrive was on the back of religious women. Catholic hospitals that people could afford that would care for those even without insurance. Catholic schools where you'd be able to pay only $50 a year and get basically a college education when you were still in first grade. So many of the other charitable works in the church are all collapsing because of a failure of so many young women to hear God's call. He hasn't stopped calling, but there has been a stoppage in the listening. Those two crises are based on another vocational crisis in the church, which is now just starting to get attention and be described by that very term, which is the crisis of the sacrament of marriage. How few young people look at marriage as a divine call any longer. Even those who are married, a lot of the times they don't continue to see it as a call. 
And sometimes when things go bad, they immediately begin to think that that's the end of it, that the Lord might not be calling them to that hardship even within it. So many other people aren't even looking toward the institution of marriage. And they're becoming one flesh with people to whom God has not joined them. We can go on and on about the crisis in the sacrament of marriage. One of the real fruits of that is if couples go into the sacrament of marriage not really believing that the Lord has called them to that, then all types of moral behaviors flow. One of the reasons why there aren't people in church, one of the reasons why there aren't sufficient priests or religious, is because so many married, married couples not fulfilling their vocation has contracepted the next generation out of existence or aborted the next generation out of existence. One of three children conceived in the United States is slaughtered in the womb. How many other kids would have even been conceived had couples been participating with that vocation? But underneath all of these vocational crises, which are real, is the deepest one of all, that most Catholics don't go about life thinking that God's constantly calling them at every instant, that God never ceases to call, that first, there's that call to holiness. Second, there's the call to a state of life vocation within it, religious life, priesthood, marriage, consecrated virginity in the midst of the world. There's also many calls within a call as nurses and doctors or teachers or various other professions have always sensed that it's a real call and you need God's grace to do it. Sometimes just even to be a housewife, you really need to be open to those graces of the Lord. But at every moment of Christian life, Jesus says to us, come follow me. But most of the time, we're not listening. The reason why we're not listening is because of the cancer of secularism in the church, in which so many in the world say, even if we want to admit that God exists, even if we want to say we believe in Jesus, at a practical moment-to-moment existence, we're not listening to God. We're living practically as if he doesn't exist. So many Catholics don't pray every day. So many Catholics who do pray every day only pray for a few minutes every day. But God's not Lord of their entire life. We need to change all of that and reawaken our listening to God in every moment. Today's readings illustrate what doesn't happen when we listen to the Lord and then what does. First, in that reading from Samuel. The Israelites were infected with a secular mentality 3,000 years ago. They said, give us a king. We want to be just like all the other nations. They have kings. They failed to recognize they already had a king. And their king's name was Yahweh. And the Lord himself was speaking to them, guiding them, helping them. But God wasn't good enough because they wanted to be not as God wanted them to be. They wanted to be like everybody else. And so they asked Samuel, make one of us a king so that the king may judge over us rather than God. And Samuel, for God, told him what would occur. He'll rule over you as follows. He'll take your sons and assign them to work for his chariots and horses. A lot of them will die in war. He'll set them to do his plowing and his harvesting rather than yours. He'll make them his implements of war. 
They'll take your best daughters as ointment makers, as cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his own officials out of spoils. He'll take your crops and your vineyards and give the revenue over to his eunuchs and his slaves. He'll take your best servants, your best oxen and asses. He'll have you tithe your flocks, and you will become your slaves. And all you're going to do is complain. And they said, We'll take it. Just give us a king. We don't care. Just give us a king. We want to be like everybody else. We don't want to live as the Lord wants us to live. And we can say, those stupid Israelites from 3,000 years ago, we would never do anything like that, would we? We do it all the time when we don't allow the Lord to reign in our lives at those particular moments, and we start saying, I want to live like everybody else. Hey, if the Joneses are Protestants, I want to live like the Joneses. If the Joneses are Jews, I want to live like the Joneses. If the Joneses next door are atheists, especially rich atheists, I want to live like the Joneses. If the Joneses next door are flaming homosexual lovers, I want to live like the Joneses rather than living like the Lord. So many of us, when we're making our own moral decisions, say, what does the majority say? If the polls say that 80% of people think that X is right, then I'll go with them because I don't want to stand out. I want to be like all the other nations. That's exactly the opposite of what the Lord is calling us to listen to each moment, the exact opposite of the vocational awareness to which we're called. What is that vocational awareness? It's pointed to by today's gospel and by today's feast. St. Hilary was one who heard the word of the Lord calling him, calling him first to be a priest, and he said, calling him first to be a faithful Christian, and he said yes. Then within that vocation, calling him to be a priest, and he said yes. And then within that vocation to be a priest, calling him to be a bishop. And he said yes. And then within that vocation to be a bishop, he received the vocation to defend the faith against the brutal Arians who were denying that Jesus was God. Who said he was the greatest man who ever lived, but he wasn't God. Because that would be blasphemy. There's only one God and Jesus ain't God. And he suffered tremendously for that faithful witness. But that was his vocation, to be persecuted for the sake of the name. And he said yes to all of it, but the call never stopped. It's the same way for all of us, that call never stops. What is that call? To hear Jesus saying, come and follow me, and then to act and become the echo and try to bring everybody else so that they can too have this vocational awareness, so that they can come to Jesus, hear him calling them, and bring them their salvation he has come into the world to give. And that's precisely what these true friends in the gospel did. They knew their friend needed Jesus. So they brought him. And Jesus far exceeded their expectations. They just were hoping that their friend would be cured of his paralysis. But Jesus, who knows what's in every man's heart, gave him an even greater gift. He cured him of his sins seeing their faith. 
he exposed the hardened hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees and his audience. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They didn't really want to tune in God's voice. Who was doing it right then? They didn't want to see all the miracles of Jesus is confirming what he said the Messiah would do. But there's something really beautiful about how they brought their friend to Jesus. There's also something very beautiful in the way Jesus continued to relate to that paralyzed man once he had been cured not only of his paralysis but of his spiritual paralysis. Think about it. When Joe, after hearing this gospel, came and had his sins healed and then had his paralysis healed almost five years ago, what did he do? He started walking around his room, started walking up and down the stairs, started jumping up and down a little bit. That's what's normal. If you haven't walked in a long time, you're testing out your legs. What's the last thing you think about? The mat. But Jesus wanted to give this healed man, doubly healed man, real responsibility. So he didn't just say, rise up and jump and celebrate. You have been healed. He said, get up, pick up your mat and go home. Don't leave this mat for the owners of this house to have to deal with. Pick it up and go home. There was a continued relationship with that miracle worker, his Savior, the one who would reconcile his sins. It wasn't just a calling and a gift and then he goes about doing whatever he pleased. No, the Lord wanted that continued relationship. Fulfill that responsibility. And I always like to think that the reason why the Lord had him pick up his mat is that he was going to have to use it again. Not for himself, but to bring another paralyzed man to Jesus so that Jesus would heal him could heal that man in that same double way. So that he could bring others into that relationship of the awareness of Jesus' calling at every moment. So today as we come forward on this great feast day of St. Hilary, we ask him to intercede for us that we may never cease to hear the call of the Lord but tuning into the Lord's frequency and hearing him call us in every moment. We, like St. Hilary, will not be embarrassed or abashed to live differently from everybody else, but to live more and more like Christ and his mother. And hearing that voice, bring the paralyzed people of the world to the one who still wills. We have never seen anything like what the Lord still wants to do.